to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The Old Testament lesson is taken from Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. And this is found on page 33 of your Pew Bibles. Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. The subtitle is called, Jacob Wrestles with God. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. The uh, New Testament reading is on page 1,165 in the Bibles in front of you. And it's Colossians chapter 1, and we're going through to verse 14. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asked God to fill you with a knowledge 
of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyful giving thanks to God, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, to whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God. Well, let me pray as we come to God's word this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of gathering in your name this morning. We pray that as we come to your word, that you would teach us and help us learn uh, in ways that change our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what kind of prayer are you? Uh, When do you pray? What kind of prayers do you pray? Uh, What do you think prayer is all about? These are questions that need to be answered, actually, as Christians, uh, as we think about uh, what prayers are all about. Uh, Although, to be honest... It's not only Christians who pray. People uh, who wouldn't associate themselves as Christians often pray as well. So what is the purpose of prayer? Uh, For many people, the purpose of prayer seems to be about twisting God's arm. Have you noticed that? Maybe you felt a bit like that as well. God, I would really like this to happen uh, because it would benefit me. And sometimes it's quite appropriate. I mean, there are circumstances which we find ourselves in and and we would like to see the results be different. And so therefore we come before God and we plead with him. Of course, other times it's a little bit more trivial. I remember having a long conversation with a woman who was determined to pray about parking spots and about the need for parking spots, particularly at Christmas time. Uh, God, you've got to give me a parking spot. Well, over this series, we're going to be considering uh, just exactly what prayer is all about. And one of the things I think we're going to discover is something that we often don't think about in terms of prayer. And that is that prayer is primarily not for God's sake, it's actually for our sake. And primarily, it's about God shaping us more than us shaping him. Prayer is about God shaping us. That's the name of the series, Shaped by God. Now that might be surprising because often we come to God in prayer and we're not thinking about that at all. We're not thinking about how God might shape us as a result of prayer. But it seems to me that the Bible frequently leads us to understand and certainly shows us prayers where people are shaped by God as they continue to pray. And that is particularly true as we come to this prayer of Jacob. Uh, You might like to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. It's one of the first recorded prayers in the Bible. And in some ways it's more an encounter than a prayer, but I'm calling it a prayer. Uh, Particularly because earlier on in the chapter, Jacob actually has been praying and asking the Lord for certain things, particularly about the covenant and asking God to fulfill the covenant and the promises that have been made on his behalf. And so as we come to this passage, what we discover is that Jacob is left alone. Come with me to verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford to Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions 
And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, it's not entirely clear at first why Jacob had sent all his people across the river, or not entirely clear why he was alone. Although, as we will see, when he is alone, he encounters God. Uh, He is by himself, and he has this extraordinary encounter with God. And actually, that says a little bit about prayer. Uh, Often the Bible encourages us to gather together in his name and to meet and to pray together. And later on in the service, we'll have public prayers. But there is a point in which we're invited intimately into God's presence personally and alone. You may remember the words from Matthew chapter 6. But when you pray, go into a room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Bible consistently encourages us not only in corporate prayer, but in private prayer alone. Now, prayer alone with God is quite different, isn't it? It's possible, I think, to come to a church to grow up in a church, to spend your time attending a church and being part of the life of the church, being on various rosters and being involved in lots of different activities, but actually never to be alone with God. Never to take time aside and just to be alone with God. It's possible to see prayer as kind of a civic duty, Something that you might use at public occasions and you might use um, at a mealtime. Encourage you to say grace at mealtime. Those are good things. But actually, the Bible encourages us to pray alone. Now, I know some of you do that. Uh, I've spoken with you and you tell me of the prayers that you're praying and that's just a wonderful encouragement to me. But it's easy actually to slip into the process of not praying alone, of not spending time in front of God. Because, of course, that's an intimate point, isn't it? Uh, when you come before God you, 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 and you're alone, you can't hide. Uh, you may feel like you can hide in a group of people, but actually when you're alone with your own thoughts, with no one else around before God, well, that's a very different moment. And that's entirely what Jacob's experiencing here, a moment alone. Although something unusual takes place and quite mysterious takes place when Jacob is alone, something he would not have expected at all. Because what happens is, as Jacob is left alone, presumably to pray, as we've suggested, a man wrestles with him, Till daybreak. Now, I don't know whether you've done much thinking about what's involved in wrestling. Uh, I never was involved in the wrestling team at school or anything like that. Although I do remember many times wrestling my little brother. And we would find ourselves wrestling each other across the floor, uh, attacking each other. Sometimes it did not end well. Um, But what you notice when when you come into a wrestle with someone is... It's very intimate. 
Uh, you're close. You can't get actually much closer if you're wrestling with someone. You're absolutely skin to skin, touching each other, looking into each other's eyes. You're wrestling with one another. Although in this case, they're wrestling at night. So he's actually not clear who he's wrestling at this point. But this wrestling is a very intimate moment. It's a very close moment. Well, who is he wrestling? Well, this is the other tremendous surprise of this passage. If you look down a little bit further in in verse 30, you'll discover that Jacob's actually wrestling with God. This is entirely surprising at so many different levels. God reduced to human form wrestling Jacob? Remarkable. Notice it's, it's wrestling at night. I've mentioned that already because, in fact, one of the reasons that Jacob discovers it's God is because he doesn't see the man's face. And, of course, if he'd seen the man's face, he would be dead. And Jacob realizes that a little bit later on. But God has come down to wrestle Jacob. Notice that Jacob didn't invite it. (laughs) He didn't say, God, how about we have a wrestle now? No, he, he just was alone and God came to wrestle with him. Wow. Now, as the wrestling's taking place, Jacob doesn't know it's God. He knows he's got someone who's tough because they wrestle all night. But why has God chosen to wrestle with Jacob? Well, to understand that, we need to go back into the background and see the context of this prayer and understand what is actually taking place. Jacob, as some of you will be familiar, was, is a twin. In the womb, we're told that he and Esau wrestled. They fought each other. Uh, We're told they actually be people leaders of great nations and they will wrestle while they were in the womb. So that's where they started wrestling. Jacob is born second and as he is born second, he grasps the heel of Esau as he comes out. It's like he's grasping, he's grasping at something. And, and this is all noted with, with kind of significance as the story unfolds in Genesis. And indeed you see that Jacob throughout his life continues to grasp, continues to try and be devious and change events in his favour. Early on in his life he's promised the blessing from the Lord and that God's commitment to the people of A nation would come through him, but he tries to make it happen. He wrestles with it all the time. Uh, For example, he wrestles Esau out of his birthright. Uh, He tricks Esau. He manipulates Esau and his own father in order that he might get a blessing. Now that causes such division that Jacob has to leave. And Jacob leaves for 20 years. 
those 20 years are fairly complicated as well. He's not a very, he's kind of an interesting man, not a very nice man in some ways. Uh, He wants to marry, you might remember the story, he wants to marry Rachel, but he's tricked into marrying Leah. He really should have married Leah first because she was the older one and that was the custom, but he wanted Rachel so he went after her, but then he was tricked. And then 20 years later, as things have sorted themselves out and he's married to both Leah and Rachel, he recognises that he needs to go back to the land of his father. But his, his great fear is that he will come across Esau, the person who he's tricked. And yet his deception and his, his way of operating still continues because as he leaves his father-in-law, Laban, he does it in such a way which is deceitful. It turns out that he's scared that Laban will actually not allow him to go. And so he leaves quietly with all, with his wives, with his cattle, with all that he owns. And Laban catches up with him and says, what did you do that for? Why did you leave with my daughters, with my grandchildren? Why did you leave with my stock and my animals? And there's a fight and they, they finally sort it out. But you, you get the picture of Jacob constantly wrestling his way into what he wants. Always seeking blessing, but in the way that he wants it. And even as we come to this prayer, it has continued because he's scared of Esau and the reason he's on the other side of the river and the reason that he's been splitting up his flocks and his family as as the story unfolds is he's scared that Esau would come and attack him. He's heard, for example, that Esau is coming with 400 people, 400 men. He assumes that Esau is going to come and attack him And so he divides up his property, his donkeys, his camels, his wives, his family into various groupings so that Esau can't get everybody. Think, well, I guess that's strategic. I guess that's helpful. But then he decides that he needs to appease Esau. He needs to manipulate Esau into welcoming him. And so he says, okay, I'm going to send donkeys, camels, cows and bulls. And I want them to be grouped in donkeys, camels, cows and bulls. And I want you to go ahead, first of all, with the camels. And then see how that goes. If that goes okay, then the rest can follow one by one. Then the donkeys, then the cows, then the bulls, those kinds of things. He tries to manipulate, even at this point, his brother into welcoming him. Jacob, all his life, has been trying to get blessing in his life. And he keeps manipulating others to do it. And God comes to him in this human form and wrestles him. Takes him on. Now, the outcome is a little bit surprising. I don't know whether you've noticed that. Jacob and the man wrestled to daybreak. And when the man could, could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. Haven't we just said this is God? 
surely God could overpower him. But actually, Jacob wasn't letting God win. Jacob was still determined to the very last minute overnight as he wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled to hold on to his own power and strength and ability to achieve his own blessing. He wanted to win. And then in a strangely beautiful moment, God touches his hip. Uh, The word there is not a violent touch. It's not like it was slammed. It's like a gentle touch. It's like, remember who I am. I could destroy you in a moment. You're mine. You think you have all the power and strength. You think you can wrestle with me. You think you can defeat me. But it just takes a touch. Jacob is crippled. As the story unfolds, he's crippled for life. He's no longer able to defend himself against his brother. He will walk around for the rest of his life dependent on others. No longer self-sufficient and in control of his circumstances. He has been completely humbled in his encounter with God. God says, you come before me, humble yourself. I am an all-powerful God. You cannot wrestle with me. Jacob, I think to his credit, understands what's going on. He sees and understands. And you notice how he reacts? They keep wrestling. The man then said in verse 26, Let me go for it's daybreak. Now, of course, we know the man is God and he doesn't want Jacob to see his face, so he's actually protecting Jacob at this point because it was well understood if you saw God's face, you would die. But Jacob replies... I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now you could say, here's the old manipulative uh, Jacob again, you know, manipulating the situation to get the blessing from God. But actually, he's defeated. He's not wrestling anymore. (laughs) He's just holding on. That's all he can do. (laughs) Like, his hips busted. You know, that, that's the important bit for wrestling. So if you've got a busted hip, you haven't got a chance. And he just hangs on. It's like this desperate hanging on. It's, it's no longer this prideful hanging on. It's this desperate, I need you. God has broken him down. He has been humbled. And he's holding on. And he says, bless me. I... I I discovered you are the blessing. You're not the means to blessing. You are the blessing. I get it. Bless me. Bless me. And so he is blessed. 
in a wonderful and beautiful way. Later on, we'll hear that his name is actually changed from that of Jacob, the one who is so against God, who, whose name means trouble, complaint, someone who's cheating, someone who's always following, to someone who is Israel, who will lead a great nation, who will lead his people. And it's because, in verse 28, he has struggled with God and with men and overcome. He's finally understood the shape that God wants him to take. And that shape is humility. That shape is weakness. Just one last thing to notice, though. Did you notice what God did to bring Jacob his blessing? God became weak. He wrestled with Jacob. He didn't destroy him. He could have so easily done that. He became weak in order to give Jacob the blessing that he needed. That's how much he cared for Jacob. That's how much he wanted Jacob to have the true blessing of knowing him. He came weak. And yes, on another dark night, Jesus too was determined to bring God, to put God's blessing into this world. And on this occasion, Jesus felt the full press of God, the full weight of God come down on him. And Jesus feels that full weight, that full, full judgment of God upon him. Not in order that he could be blessed, but in order that we could be blessed. In order that we could receive salvation. In order that we could be freed from seeking blessing in dead ends. And come to see the richness and the fullness of the blessing and the, that comes from a knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And so this event foreshadows the richest of blessings for us that comes through another wrestling match, far greater and far bigger, that Jesus dies on the cross on our behalf in order that we might receive a blessing. Well, this morning I invite you to consider... God wants to bless you. God wants to enrich your life. God wants to change your life. God wants to give you the rich, his full riches. And so we are invited into prayer. We're invited by ourselves to be alone with him. We're invited to let him humble us. We are invited to hold on, to see him as the source of all blessing and to live our lives in light of the richness of this blessing. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit 
naac.com.au.